I'm so excited to have you listen in on my first expert interview. Today's guest, Jeremiah Cobra, talks with us about diagramming sentences. And before you hit the skip button, you've got to listen in to his perspective on the English language, how to make your writing more powerful, and how doing this can help you land agents who will get you editors and have your books published. Jeremiah has three books published. None of them are on grammar. They're all novellas and short stories and fictional works where he uses grammar to convey his meaning with more clarity. And every sentence, every word within every sentence plays an integral role. Integral. Integral. <laughs> an important part of the sentence and the whole structure. So please listen in and enjoy Jeremiah Cobra. Welcome to Create Collaborate, the show for creative writers aspiring to publish their first book. My name's Jody Sperling, and I'm determined to help you whether you self-publish or storm the gated walls of agents and editors. Today, you'll be hearing from an industry expert on how they made the leap from unpublished to published, and how you can do it too. been interested in, in, in education in general. I think I've always had a love for foreign languages. That probably goes back to the first time I saw any Spanish content on Sesame Street. When I was like four or five years old. I was like, wow. oh yeah, you can count another language. That seems cool. And so I was, when I went to uh, the middle school that I went to was sixth through eighth grade and it was connected with the high school. So it was basically sixth through twelfth, but the middle school was on a, it was, everything was on the same campus, but they were separate buildings. So I think seventh grade was the first year we were allowed to learn different languages, but I was trying to cheat in sixth grade. Like I would sneak in the Spanish teacher's classroom after school, talking to her, trying to get her to teach me as much Spanish. Like that was always very interesting to me. So I've always had that love for, for foreign languages. Um, I was always more of a math and science kind of a kid really? growing up, and I, but I think yeah, for the most part. And that, that has a connection that I'll get to. I think that's, I think that's where, that's why sentence diagramming in general appeals to me and the way that I go about teaching friends. Ah, there you go. So you're, you're teasing the reveal now. You're, you're teasing the reveal, which is we're talking yeah. about <laughs> sentence diagramming. We hadn't quite got there yet. You already <laughs> just blew past all the, the lead up. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Go ahead. Yo, no. <laughs> well, no, so that's that's the uh, uh no, that's that's where so my approach to teaching grammar in general that's where that comes from um but i think around my uh, junior year end of sophomore year junior year i started getting more into literature although it, you know again that's something i've always enjoyed you know i've always loved to read technically wrote my first book in third grade wow. i still have that book somewhere and um that's kind of where the interest comes from um, I studied French in college, and when I had the opportunity to move to Japan, the, the first thing uh, it was the goal was to take a teaching job there. That's its own long story, but the opportunity that I saw that in that moment was to live in another in another country and learn the language in that country, and that immediately appealed to me. So as soon as I got the job, I started studying the Japanese alphabets. And there are three of them. Wow. And then uh, once once I moved to Japan, you know, that was my immediate fascination. I, I was very much interested in, in the language and, and being able to read. Like it was immediate gratification as far as acquiring a language goes. And that whatever I learned, whatever letters I learned, whatever vocabulary I learned, I could immediately go out in the world and see it on signs and talk to strangers. <laughs> and, and so that was that was awesome to me. And I guess to kind of get back to the teaching, the, 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 the fast, the, I went out there to teach and I went out there to teach English initially. And one thing I noticed when I was teaching there is that uh, I, I personally think that the ESL field uh, has some pretty deep flaws in it as a, as just as a field um, and particularly insofar as it, you know, it comes to teaching English as a second language in this country and abroad. And what I noticed in, in Japan, especially, is that they kind of have uh, this opinion that you can teach English without teaching grammar or phonics. And 
I thought that seemed pretty silly when I moved out there, but practically speaking, it literally just wasn't working in that country. No, no like people in Japan learn English. It's com- it's compulsory from I think fifth, fourth, or fifth grade, and yet very few people speak it. Uh, they 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 cannot pronounce the words because they're not learning the language through phonics. Which is I've never learned Japanese without learning the phonics. Like when I started teaching myself those three alphabets, it was to learn the phonics of the language. And once I had that, you know, the I you know my my pronunciation and my I, like I have no accent. My pronunciation is pretty good. It's because I started with phonics, and you should do that. You should do that as well in English, and the same thing with grammar. So when I decided to do grad school. Um, my my focus was on uh, a grammar based curriculum. Uh, it's like drinking from a fire hose right now. It's awesome. Your life is like yeah, super. No, 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 no please. I just I wanted to stop because I have a question that relates right now to exactly what you're talking about. So you're talking about phonics and learning languages, which um, I want you to just carry on. But I want to do a, a quick tangent, and the tangent is I tried as hard as I could, and I'm not kidding you. I mean, I think that I. I wish we knew each other better so that that would actually have meaning to you. When I say I tried really hard to learn Spanish, um, I used the, uh, the app Duolingo. And I think that Duolingo is phenomenal. However, it just couldn't get me quite over the, the chasm from, from a second language to feeling comfortable talking. Um, I can read it pretty well. I, I read uh, Roberto Bolaño's Nocturno de Chile in Spanish, and I understood it. But then trying to speak it, there's this lack of confidence, and that is fascinating to me that you're talking about phonics. So I, I wanted to interject that and ask mm-hmm. you to elaborate there before mm-hmm. we keep marching forward. Oh, oh, I mean, that's, that's certainly its own tangent. I, so if, if you want to know, it, it, just from my own learning experience, um, learning the Japanese phonics or learning that, you know, the Japanese alphabet first was immensely important. If, and I, I guess maybe the, the, the bigger principle here is that there are sounds in languages that don't exist in other languages. Uh, and, and that's just the fact the, the, even the R, the French R, the Spanish R and the English R are three completely different sounds. They are made at completely different points, places in the mouth. And if you don't know that explicitly, you will never make a Spanish R. You will never make a French R. You will never, if you're an, if you're an English learner, you will never make an English R. They're, they are completely different sounds. And Japanese is, is similar. I guess the broader principle here is that, you know, there are sounds that don't exist in certain languages. Uh, when I learned the Japanese uh, alphabet, the first thing I recognize is that they have, you know, a similar R to Spanish and that it's kind of rolled. It's and uh, I guess another thing I learned is that they don't have nearly uh, as dynamic a vowel palette, so to speak, as we do in, uh, in English. Um, in, in English, we can make a, a plethora of different vowel sounds. In, uh, in Japanese, they have a, i, u, e, o. And then they combine those to make maybe i or a or o or u or whatever. But we have all and so many others, you, uh, you, er, mm-hmm. like those sounds don't exist in Japanese. So uh, as an English speaker, it was definitely important for me to learn that in order to make sure that my my pronunciation uh, would be as natural as possible, that, that I would basically speak without an accent. Wow. They don't, and I can go into that even further, but as a teacher of English, it was important because I knew that I needed to teach my Japanese students where these sounds come from in the mouth or they were not going to make it. I think there was this, there's this one class I taught um, in which I wanted them to lo- learn the difference between the word cart and the word cot. So C-A-R-T yeah. and C-O-C-O-T. Yeah. And I had this, I had this game where they had to do one thing if they heard cart and another thing if they heard cot. And I was explaining that, in, that the instructions to them and they thought I was playing a trick on them because they did not hear two different words. They thought yeah. I was messing with them. Someone was raising their hand like, come on, dude. Like, who are you, are yeah, you this, is, this is really good stuff. This is really good stuff. So the, the way that I connect to it immediately is that if you go back and you read like mm-hmm. uh, um, Homer, the Odyssey and the, the, the Iliad and the Odyssey, they, they talk all the time about the sea yes. being the wine dark sea. And people who research that say, well, the reason is, mm-hmm. is because they didn't see the color blue. They literally 
didn't have a reference for the color right. blue. And so to them, they, the sea looked like wine. Mm-hmm. And today we think like, that's ridiculous. I can yeah. see blue in the sky. I can see blue in the ocean. Yeah. I see blue everywhere. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what you're saying is that the, the Japanese speakers literally can't hear cart and caught. Yeah. Because they're, and specifically because their alphabet does that not sound. have that distinction yeah. right they don't make those distinctions they don't make a distinction between those two in fact if you were to write both of those out using the japanese phonetic alphabet it would be the same thing be <laughs> <laughs> so it, it just is what it is the other thing that this relates to and i i feel badly because i'm kind of teasing my sons when i do this but i have two sons my my middle and my youngest both had trouble with the r and the l when they were younger and actually my youngest mm. still does but I, I was listening to the way that they spoke and I realized, okay, can you say for me, rollered world? And when they say it back to me, they know they're saying rollered world, but they say, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> you know, that's another. <laughs> oh, that's what Japanese yeah, speakers do. Exactly. They think that they're saying what you're asking them to say and they hear it in their head, but what you hear out of their mouth is different. So I just want to belabor this point because this is something that almost nobody listening to this podcast has ever experienced is somebody that's a uh, an expert like you talking about the phonetics of our language. Well, I, I mean, I'll tell you one thing, get them to learn any other language, uh, you know, Poland or, or Chinese. Um, to, you know, there are sounds in Chinese that we, we hear them. I, I have a student and I'm better than most of the other teachers at our school in saying their last mm. name. But even they still say, like, it's close, but it's <laughs> it's not it. And then they'll say it, and I'll be like, yeah, I, I, that's not what I said. I thought I said it. Uh, there's a, there's a, like, however the letters N and G come together in English, it's a, yes. there's a subtle difference in how they say it in oh. Chinese uh, that whenever they say it, and I try to repeat after them, I'm like, I nailed it, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> You got close enough, whatever. So Don't this isn't even it. Chinese, but Celeste NG, her like her last name is NG, Celeste mm, and I can't I can't even attempt mm-hmm. to pronounce it correctly. Oh yeah. Actually yeah. Or I'm like I'm not even gonna I don't wanna <laughs> I don't wanna offend anybody by trying to pronounce any mm-hmm. names and getting it wrong. I'll do this one though. We have a student in our at our school named uh, Kota and it's Japanese. He's a Japanese student. He didn't speak any English when he came to the school. Uh but uh everyone at the school calls him mm. Kota. And I'm like, that's, that's not his name. His name yeah. is Kota. And, uh, and, and then uh, I'll try to tell them the difference. And most of the time, I'm like, I don't, I don't hear the difference. I'm just going to call him what we yeah. can call him, Kota. And Kota is actually a girl's name in Japanese. Kota. Yeah, it's a, and it's completely different. The O and the O are two different yeah. sounds in Japanese. It, yeah. So before we move on to the sentence diagramming, which I wish we didn't, I wish we could do like a, a, a two part episode with you right now. But um, before mm-hmm. before we move on, are you fluent in Japanese at this point? Can you read and speak it both? I do read and speak it. Uh, read and speak it. Um, I've taught uh, university level linguistics uh, wow. in it, and uh, I, I, I'm pretty good. I don't. It's hard for me to say I'm fluent just because I know what I can do in English, sure. and and I don't think I can do all of that in Japanese. I do think so. I'll, I'll say what say one thing. I think there's a lot there's a, a lot more grammar I should I can learn, yeah. um, and specifically that there are more complex sentence structures and, and word endings that they have that I don't know all of, and I'm sure I can always improve my vocabulary. What I can say though is that I can make, I can call up a Japanese restaurant to make reservations and they will think I'm Japanese until I show Damn. up. And that's always fun. <laughs> so so that part's cool. Just as a sidebar, I am I am already determined to get you back for a part two. Because um, I, I want to talk with you and, <laughs> and my my uh, former, he, he was a, a teacher. Actually, he still is a teacher at um, the new school in New York. Um, I met him in grad school. His name's Joe Salvatore. He is the, I mean, sharpest up to this point, the sharpest grammarian that I've ever met. And the way that he hacks grammar is like, you're just in awe of listening to him just go. And I think that if we can get a a three person conversation on grammar, I'll just shut up and listen to you two guys just go. It'll be so great. So, oh, that would be yeah. fantastic. I, it would be fantastic because I'd love to meet somebody else who's passionate yeah. about it and knowledgeable of it and, 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 and in a way that 
I guess that I am or how I approach it uh, because I feel like it's, it's weird that it's a lost art and yet so very necessary. Yeah. Like it's, it's not a dying art because it, it can't die because it's so yeah. important to us and how we speak and use the language and write with the language. And yet somehow it's a yeah. lost well, art. Well, listen, I, it just desperately needs to be I had a, a conversation with a friend not long ago on this podcast and, and he was suggesting that there's a very real possibility that emojis are going to take over as the primary language that many of us speak because our cell phones have given us the ability to just type little smiley faces and things like that. I, it's funny to think about. It could happen. And have you ever read uh, Joyce Carol Oates has a book? Oh my God, what's it called? Uh, or, no, is it Joyce Carol Oates? Or is it Margaret Atwood oh, who wrote? Okay. I think it's Margaret Atwood who wrote Or. or yes, or, yep, that is Margaret Atwood. That's, that's, that's a Margaret trilogy. Atwood. And yeah. Yeah, yeah yep. that's Margaret Atwood. Yep. Well, I didn't know it was a trilogy. Oh, yes. Uh, and it's fun. Books. But in, in that kind of a world where we lose <laughs> language, that might end yes. up in some dystopian yeah. world. I don't think it will. Uh, but just because I, I just think it's too vital. But already, I mean, if you think about the way that it's bleeding in, even I do it now as a shorthand, um, and I do still distinguish, and you will not find me in any of my serious writings using emojis. Mm -hmm. But now, if I'm on Facebook, if I'm mm -hmm. working the groups like the other day, how we met in one of those Facebook groups, I will use emojis as a shorthand mm -hmm. to make sure that if I say something that sounds possibly confrontational, right. I'll end it with a smiley face so mm -hmm. that somebody realizes I'm not attacking. Right. I I do too, but you know what that is? You know how I use it? I think it could definitely be punctuation. I'm cool with it being yeah. punctuation. I think that I would make, yeah, that, especially in writing, I think it's almost necessary. It would be difficult in terms of handwriting because we, there's too many yeah, emojis exactly. and we're never going to become that dynamic in our handwriting, right. but I think it's excellent as punctuation. Yeah. Uh, I almost used it all the time in that way So uh, when I'm texting. So, so yeah, I'm cool with that. <laughs> Um, I think well, I think we're we're still too complex in our abstract thought mm. for it to take over as a language because it's just too much we're trying to communicate. I, I could see it happening in the most dreadful of dystopian scenarios, <laughs> and I think we'd have to sink pretty far as a society. That, but that's my only, that's my opinion. There. It's your passion. Well, it's your love of life. I think that um, if, if I'm kind of venturing out into a metaphorical uh, similarity, we probably didn't think in the 1950s that we were going to be a culture that ate three meals a day from restaurants. That, that idea of losing kind of the center of our family or our, our friendship nucleus of eating together at someone's house. And then suddenly we're in sure. drive throughs all the time. I think that that's kind of where you're coming from is, is that you're, you're passionate about something. And so it's harder to see how it could possibly break down. It, it, I just, it's a huge breakdown. It would be such a huge breakdown. I, I, I can, like the nuclear, first of all, I, I see, I see what you're saying. I don't want to go on too far. I can't, I see what you're saying about the food yeah. thing as well. I also think that's probably going to reverse just because I don't think we can sustain it yeah. uh, uh, financially or health wise. Yes. Uh, I think, I think there are a few things in society. I think it's more my optimism and less my passion <laughs> per se, but I think, I, I think we're going to, I think social media in general is going to take, a, start taking a backseat. Mm. I think people are going to start becoming a little more private again. I think we're starting to reach a crescendo of, uh, you know, uh, almost a crisis of mental health. And mm. the root cause of that is that we're, we're consuming so much through social media that and this at this point making us miserable as opposed to making yeah. us enhancing our yeah. lives and i think in that way people are going to start turning off the you know the social media more people are going to and they're going to find so much levity mm. and freedom and in, in that that i that's my that's my optimistic i don't think it's going to happen next year but i think over these next yeah i think i'll give it a minute. Maybe I'll write a book yeah. about it. <laughs> my, my wife and I were walking the dog today and uh, I, I was actually commenting kind mm -hmm. of similarly is like at first I was talking about restaurants and how after COVID right now, uh, restaurants are still not rebounding the way that they expected to be with some of the, mm -hmm. the uh, limitations being lifted. And people are starting to wonder, is this actually a correction? Because we were mm -hmm. so far out there in what we were doing. So I, I definitely see where you're coming mm -hmm. from and it would be, I think it would be phenomenal to see a correction that that moved us back toward 
uh, the center again, you are having a conversation with somebody mm-hmm. on that Facebook group, the same thread that you and I met on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and basically mm-hmm. she was fairly upset about your take on grammar and being, <laughs> being, and being like, you know what? I love mm-hmm. to write, but I don't need to know all these stupid rules. And it just makes it boring for me, and you know, yeah. tedious. And yeah. I, I I understand where people are coming from. And outside of conversations like I'm having with Mm -hmm. you right now, I really don't push it because, but I mean, at the same time, I want people to fall back in love with the language. Yeah, I think, well, yeah, I think I want people to fall back in love with the language. I think there's a freedom in being able to express yourself clearly and, and to think clearly. I think grammar plays an important role in thinking clearly as well. And, and as a writer, I think it's important to recognize it as a as a tool of in your craft, I think um, it's it's always interesting interesting to me with writing that people don't necessarily indulge all of the parts of writing like they they and and, and it, it's partly kind of a failure of our education system and the way that we regard the humanities as such where we just kind of look at writing for a long time has been viewed as something that's just completely subjective and it's whatever like whatever you put on a page and. It's awesome because you put it on the page and, you know, whether or not it's intelligible to somebody else is uh, not not only unimportant sometimes, but uh, undeterminable in that it's like, well, you know, I can put it on the page, but my writing of it is subjective and your understanding of it is subjective. And so who's to say anything? We kind of get lost in this kind of pragmatism. And and I think that uh, that's unfortunate because uh I mean, even as just an editor, I've read so much. There's so many aspiring authors yeah. out there who could be mm. great if they learn that there are aspects to writing that you have to become good at it, and that there are principles, explicit objective principles yeah. to writing a sentence. And, you know, that's where grammar is or constructing good dialogue or, or constructing mm-hmm. a plot or there are things to become good yeah. at. And you should spend the requisite amount of time doing that. It's like, you know, if you're going to be a basketball player, I hear basketball players are always talking about their craft yeah. and I'll leave that alone. I love basketball. I played basketball and I get it. But no, listen, I mean, have you read, have you read uh, Chris Bosch's book, Letters to a Young Athlete? No, I believe it's Bosch. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry. But no, I have not. Oh my gosh. Sure, I haven't even heard Chris Bosch's book, Letters to a Young uh-huh. Athlete is hands down a manual mm-hmm. for everybody who wants to do anything great. I had no clue about that dude sure. until I read that book. Like I just uh, kind of liked him as a person basically. But like when I read the book, I was like, he's sure. 10 times smarter than I am. He's 10 times more disciplined than I am. And his outlook on the world is fierce. It was so, so good. So check it fantastic. out. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic and good for Chris Bosch because he needs that niche, especially when basketball was taken. Yeah, home. because so, of his health. Exactly. Uh, before, like before it was supposed to. But but that's but it's a gr- perfect example. I'll check that book out, especially if it's touching on what I, exactly. what I mean to come get across here. And that when you talk to basketball players, they talk about working on their craft. No basketball player is going to go out there and try to play and consider themselves a basketball player if they can't dribble. <laughs> yeah. Right. They're going to work on their dribble. Right. You're going to work on your jump shot. You got to work on your boxing out. You got to you're going to work on uh, your, uh, your your rebounding. And those are the foundations. And then you want to learn on you want to uh, work on your ability to read the play, work on your defense, learn how to read the floor like that. You start you start with these basics and then you get into these more abstract principles of playing any sport. I, I speak on basketball because I played. I did that in Japan. Nice. Myself too. And uh and so when it comes to writing, we don't look at learning grammar as a tool that we can become good at crafting a sentence uh, j- aside from just the emotional level. That there's, a, there's, if there's something important about knowing the elements of a sentence and, and being in command of those elements, knowing when, you know, being in command of a prepositional phrase, knowing it's a prepositional phrase and then using it fully aware that this is a prepositional yeah. phrase and I'm crushing the use of this prepositional <laughs> yeah. phrase or I, I need a it. subordinating, I need a subordinating clause yes. here and I know exactly why I need a subordinating clause yeah. here or I need a part of, uh, you know, participle phrase here. And, and, and like, again, I think one of the discussions that I got into on that thread was someone who was like, Oh, but you don't think about that while you're writing. No, you don't. You don't think about dribbling when you're playing basketball right. either, but you learn it 
so that you don't have you to do your reps, you get your reps in and your reps then uh, uh, enable you. So a couple of times I've thought about this while you were talking is I am by no means where you're at right now. I'll be honest. I am. I think deeply about grammar. I have diagram sentences. I spent a lot of time in it. I'm not where you're at, but just to bring it down to the level where most people are at, some people will open uh, a, a little bit of dialogue with, with your open quote here. And at the uh-huh. end, they'll have uh-huh. a piece of punctuation, whether it's a comma or a period, and then they'll close it with a quote. You actually have to know how quotation marks work and how you open and close dialogue. Mm-hmm. Then to ask yourself the question, mm-hmm. if I'm if I'm ending the sentence with suppose a title of a book, then I don't want to put the period inside mm-hmm. of that quotation mark because then it looks like mm-hmm. the period is part of the title of the book. And these are things that I've struggled mm-hmm. with before is where do I put that period if I want to make it mm-hmm. absolutely clear that that period is not part, but I also don't want somebody who like you understands mm-hmm. Um, the rules of, of grammar and style to think that I don't know where uh-huh. to put the period. Uh-huh. And I think about these things and I think that that's a rewarding experience. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. And it, it's a, it's a rewarding experience to know that. Um, and it's, I'll tell you one thing, again, when you're talking about uh, aspiring authors, new authors, uh, unpublished authors, uh, it, it's, it, it, there's already so much anxiety with putting a manuscript together and, and sending it out to an agent, and hoping that agent, uh, you know, gets back to you. It, if anything, and there are lots, again, there are lots of principles you want to be able to cross off before you send that manuscript yeah. in. If you know all of them, then you, you send it in with the supreme yep. confidence. But grammar is definitely one of them. And I, I, don't, I don't know if I can express this enough to, to new authors who are adults. When I talk to my students or I have a few students who are trying to get into writing schools, they're, they're all ears because they're my yes. students and they know that that's my job and I have that relationship with them. I think when you, it's, it's difficult once you become an adult, and especially if you're a well-educated adult, you may, I mean, to be well-educated but not necessarily know one thing about this. It's hard, it's hard to, to put yourself in that position. And certainly if you're not paying me to t- tell mm-hmm. you that, you're kind of like, why are you talking to dude? I didn't ask you. This is unsolicited right. advice. Nobody likes unsolicited yep. advice. But I wish I could express how important it is to know your mm-hmm. grammar and to send something in that you are grammatically, that you are confident about grammatically. Because when an agent, any agent or editor, specifically editor, mm-hmm. most agents as well, will look at that and throw it in the right. garbage if you don't know what a dangling participle is. Like if you dangle really even one participle but certainly if you dangle more than one participle they're not reading your book i'm sorry yeah. i know you think it's genius and it probably is plot wise yeah it probably is like a, Ex- a, a, a right exactly i'm saying you probably but they know they don't want to have to explain mm-hmm. to an adult what a dangling participle is. they don't have time there are so many authors out there and a lot of those authors do know what a dangling yep. participle is they're going to deal with the people who so it's, it's one of those things it's like it, it, you got to think of it that it's it's just like the NBA, yeah. right? There are 300 so basketball players that make it to the NBA. One of the things I learned when I went to Japan is just how good the NBA is. Even though I didn't play in yeah. the NBA, there are people who could not make it to mm-hmm. the NBA in Japan, and they're amazing. And they're like D3 <laughs> people that didn't even go to D1 colleges. And you're like, dude, how did you not make it to the NBA? Yeah. Because the NBA is so much better, so much more selective. You got to realize everyone wants to be an author. These agents and these editors are receiving hundreds and hundreds of uh, letters, query letters per day. If yours is dangling participles yeah. and someone else's isn't, but if you both have great premises, mm-hmm. but yours is dangling participles and, and theirs isn't, they're going with the person that's not dangling his particles. And that's yeah. just it. Here's the other thing. And this is part of my show. And so I want it to be really clear. What you're saying is exactly right. And then there's unfortunately the people like me who spent the time to learn the chops and I'm not, this is not me jumping on mm-hmm. a soapbox, soapbox and saying like, ha ha ha, look at where I've gotten. Mm-hmm. Because the truth is I actually, I nabbed an agent. I got a literary agent for a book and it's a, it's a kick butt book. Mm-hmm. But what I didn't do was build mm-hmm. a platform. And you don't, you don't publish anymore without a platform, mm-hmm. whether it's self-pub or, or going through mm-hmm. one of the big five, you're not going to get your book out there right now. Sure. I mean, there's, there are a few people who sneak mm-hmm. through on just unbelievably unique mm-hmm. circumstances, but generally speaking, yeah, mm-hmm. you, you need to know your craft, how to do it right. You need to mm-hmm. take the time mm-hmm. to build a story that's amazing. And then you have to have a platform mm-hmm. for it. 
And so those are the three things as I look at a a perfect, perfectly balanced three-legged stool. You got to have those three things or you're not going Mm -hmm. anywhere. I I think that's pretty true. I'm wondering again with with the social media or the platform, well, no, the platform, whether, whatever your platform is. uh, I I nabbed an agent uh, last year and my website was, I think one of the major reasons that uh, I I got the agent is I think uh, I have my email list. I have a a website that looks like someone put some care into it. Uh, the person <laughs> and uh, and I think she, <laughs> I think I, I crushed it with my wife nice. and I think she looked at that as depth I think she I think that definitely is one of those things that she looked at and said no that's that he he he's got his his stuff yeah. together um, and then on top of that uh, I sent her a manuscript that was mostly devoid of grammatical oh, errors yeah. before an editor that's beautiful so yeah and I think that was important and and I I, I would just also say that I it felt good to know that at least that part mm-hmm. was taken care of. Like when I sent yes. my manuscript out for whatever the flaws may have been, I knew that yeah. wasn't one. You know, this and will sound, I think, counterintuitive, but I actually am so grateful to know that when I sent my manuscript out, the the errors that were caught were the really dumb ones. Like I'm in the heat of typing mm-hmm. and I write the word to T-O mm-hmm. instead of T-O-O because I'm just typing really quickly. Mm-hmm. Those were the errors sure. that showed up in my manuscript. Sure. When when my agent sent back like the first correction, right. there was a handful of them. I I, I missed a, mm-hmm. a, a like a they are you know the contraction for t h e r e. I missed a couple of twos for mm-hmm. the two. It's the stuff that when you read it, you actually read the right, right word. And I think I think that that's right. unbelievably satisfying to know that from a sentence structure and a paragraph structure and just a complete thought structure, I did it right because we took the time to learn it. And this isn't, I really am trying to stay away from the soapbox, but if anybody's listening right now and they're on the fence, this is one thing that you can sleep easier if you get how the language works, right? Is Mm -hmm. that, I mean, your experience as well? I agree. No, oh no, absolutely. And I I, I think if you have, you know, mistakes like, like what you were just Mm -hmm. saying, that's, That's not going to make or break your manuscript. I, mm-hmm. I, I get I, when people say, "Oh, I just, I, you know, I, it bothers me when someone doesn't know the difference between there, right. there, and there, two and two, and then they they kind of feel like they're grammar Nazis." <laughs> yeah. I feel like they're grammar yeah. Nazis about it, and I'm like, "That's cool, uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have a, you, that you understand grammar per right. se, and that's not always going to be the most important thing." Um, there, there are other kinds. Like I was, I'll just say that that as an error is not going to make or break your manuscript. Mm-hmm. There are more vital mistakes you can make that you don't even know yes, about, and that's where you show your greenness. You're right, and that yeah, exactly. Don't you know? Uh, I I have a, a a friend, a good friend who had a lot of misplaced prepositional mm-hmm. phrases, which is very akin to a, a dangling participle. And I'm not, I don't even know which is more basic, but um, again, I, I think having misplaced prepositional phrases will that will get your manuscript misplaced. Yeah. And I think I think the story is really interesting, yep. but I really had to have a talk with yeah. him, like, from educated man to another well-educated yeah. man. It doesn't mean you're not educated. Right. It doesn't. And I think the first question I asked him is, "What do you know about grammar?" And he admittedly said, "Not about yeah. a whole lot." And I was like, "All right, let, let me let me break this down to you." So uh, I think that it's. It's it's going to be those larger grammatical mm-hmm. errors that um, signal to agents uh, that you're whether that you're ready or that yeah, you're not. Yeah, I think it's a huge huge piece of it. Sentence diagramming, I think it's a great tool. I, I want to just hand over the floor to you for a second to talk through the basics of sentence diagramming. Give your your plea to the listeners about why it's so important, and give me a mini lesson. Oh man, I, I had a feeling the mini lesson question was going to come up, and I, I feel like it's hard <laughs> I know, to I know. give a mini lesson on sentence diagramming without a whiteboard, <laughs> because you, the the major value of sentence diagramming is that it's a visual tool. Um, it allows you to organize a sentence by its grammatical units in a way that is visually conceptual. If you just have a sentence written all the way out and you try to label all the parts it becomes a complete mess and it becomes, becomes completely unintelligible to you later when you try to look at it later or to anyone else trying to figure out what you were trying to do. It just looks like a beautiful mind or something. It doesn't look like a sentence. It doesn't look as <laughs> yeah. neat. 
um, as, as a sentence diagram will look. Uh, so I think there are, so I, I guess I should say the sentence diagramming is only a tool and it's a tool for conceptualizing grammar. Uh, you can learn grammar multitudinous, like there are multitudinous ways to learn grammar. Um, I don't know how many are as effective as sentence diagramming. I've seen some others. I've seen some tools in Montessori. Um, I've developed a few of my own, uh, but uh, even the ones I've developed are precursors to sentence diagramming. Like I'm teaching like, you know, first graders, essentially the essence of sentence diagramming. Uh, but again, it's a tool. So it's not like, oh, you just learn sentence diagramming and you play all these word games. Uh, what, sent what sentence diagramming allows you to do is to break a sentence up by its unit. I think analyzing any sentence is going, is the purpose of analyzing sentences is to do that. Um, and then insofar as you're breaking a sentence down into its, you know, grammatical units and being, and pointing out what different words are doing or what different phrases are doing in the sentence, uh, what, you're, what you're learning is a vocabulary for talking about sentences. And it's that vocabulary that's immensely important. Because again, you, it's allowed, it allows you to have a conceptual conversation with, any, with an editor uh, or with anybody you're trying to help with. Your, if you have a teacher that tells you that you're, you have dangling participles in your sentence, that doesn't mean anything unless you really know what a dangling participle is. And so if you don't, it is a really difficult job to try to explain to you what a dangling participle is and why you shouldn't do it in a sentence. It becomes a, a whole lesson. If you can diagram a sentence, you can see visually why a participle is in the wrong place. And then ultimately what you're trying to learn there is what a dangling participle is. So uh, that's just an example. In terms of giving a, a mini lesson, I, again, I don't know if I can do that without okay. a visual, but, but I guess, I guess the, the breakdown of sentence diagramming is that you want to be able to look at a sentence and see its major parts. Mm -hmm. So there are very, very basic parts of a sentence, and then there are increasingly more complex parts of a sentence. Every sentence has a subject. Every sentence has a verb. Uh, I guess ultimately a sentence can be, a, a, the subject of a sentence can be very, very complex or it can be very simple. If, if I were going to show you a simple diagram that just had a subject and a verb, Again, a sentence diagram is going to show you what the sentence looks like if it has a subject. And if you had a sentence that did not have a subject, again, I can visually show you that this sentence doesn't have a subject. So uh, I think that's probably the essence. Okay. I, I'll repeat that just to make it make sure that it's clean. The essence, the importance of sentence diagramming is to break a sentence down into its grammatical units. And there are very, very basic units to a sentence and very, very complex uh, units to a sentence. As we get older, we want to use, we, we tend to use more complex units. And if we don't really know what those units are, we have a tendency to, to use them incorrectly. Uh, but it's not just, you know, diagramming is not just making these word maps for the sake of making word maps. The idea is to conceptualize a vocabulary for talking about what a sentence is doing so that Every part of a sentence diagram always look like if I if I were diagramming a prepositional phrase, for example, and an example of a prepositional phrase would be like in the car. That's a prepositional phrase. The diagram for a prepositional phrase always looks the same, no matter where it is in your sentence. Once you have that visual, it's easier to hang on to the idea of prepositional phrase. Uh, that's an easier one. If I, another gr uh, basic grammatical unit would be something like an adjective. It's, you know, it's just one slanted line. If I were to show that to you, you automatically know that's the adjective. Where it really becomes valuable is if I were to say something like a participle phrase or a subordinating clause, an adverb clause. Uh, an adverb clause can be very, very long, but, if you, but it always looks the same in the diagram, if you, have, if you have a sentence diagram. So again, once you learn how to diagram an adverb clause or subordinating clause, you now have a mental picture. You have something to hold on to conceptually that you can always call go back to. If someone says uh, your adverb clause is awkward in this sentence, 
uh, you don't have to call on a whole bunch of information in order to kind of picture the adverb clause of that yeah. sentence. Now you kind of have, you already have kind of a visual that it's it looks this mm-hmm. way. It should be modifying the verb. All adverb clauses are describing mm-hmm. the verb, and uh, now you you kind of have this picture in your mind of what needs to be fixed in your sentence. But not only that, you you know what a subordinating clause is. You know what an adverb clause yeah. is. Uh, it you could teach someone all of these different grammatical units. Um, and I'm sure you could probably just give them a list and make them memorize it. But what sentence diagramming does is it allows you to visualize what these different units look like. All the way back to the early part of our conversation is what you were talking about in learning mm-hmm. Japanese. You said that that you can order in Japanese yes. because you learned the the phonics of it. And so you can speak like a native speaker and they don't mm-hmm. know that you're not Japanese till you show up. That's exactly what you're saying about diagramming yeah. sentences is that you're able to use mm-hmm. this to understand the pieces of language so that you can manipulate it just with the the, the ease of, of somebody who's completely familiar in that 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 landscape. Right. It gives you a, a, a familiarity with the language. It gives you a, a command of the sentence. And again, if, if if you're a writer, if you want to write and you get into a discussion with your editor about why something's wrong, if you both understand grammar, I'm sure your editor does. But if you or at least you you want to get an editor who does, if the editor doesn't know, then I don't know why they're doing the job. So but it, it makes that conversation flow in a way that it's too you know, two masters of a craft talking about yeah. something. Uh, it's, again, if, if I were going to use like the, uh, the analogy with basketball, uh, when a coach and his player are talking about the pick and roll, the coach doesn't have to keep explaining pick and roll. All he has to do is say pick and run. I'm sure he's written on that board what that looks like as well. So when the player and the coach are talking pick and roll, they understand each other. And, right. and they, they can master that principle of basketball. If I talked about the 2-3 zone, we know what the 2-3 zone If I'm talking about a box and mm-hmm. one, I can talk about a box and one with, and it, it almost sounds like I'm speaking another language, but, but if I'm talking to another right. basketball player, we know, we know box and one. I don't have to explain that. If, if the, a player, if I'm a coach and I'm talking to my player and he doesn't know what a box and one is, I, don't, I, I have to stop and break that yeah. down. And then I have to wonder if he belongs on the court if he doesn't know what a box yeah. one is. That's going to be something. It's, and then if, if you're a player talking to a coach who doesn't know what a box one is, <laughs> I know, right? I'm never right. going to follow this guy. It's <laughs> going right, exactly. So it's going to it's it's a similar thing as a writer. If you if uh, if you're you want to if you're going to be a writer, if you're going to take the craft seriously, you're going to end up in conversations with editors and agents, and you're going to eventually want to get to a point where you're talking about the subtleties of a sentence or how to command the sentence or how to make this sentence stronger. And I'm at a point in my relationship with eighth graders, uh, eighth grade writers, when I can say you're using a prepositional phrase here and it's making your sentence unwieldy. Yeah. Uh, if you use a subordinating clause here, you can get that same information into this sentence and it's going to sound more eloquent and it's not going to sound too wordy or something like that. Right. So now I'm using two principles and I can just talk. Um, but the, yeah. the, the point to get across here is that you, mm-hmm. once you conceptualize these principles of a sentence, you can converse about it with other people and you and you're alone in your, you know, in your, in your writing nook or whatever can pick that sentence apart, mm-hmm. pick that unit apart and say, how yeah. do I make this sentence better? Or maybe this sentence is awkward because that clause is not working here. What if I change that to something yeah. else? Right. Um, as opposed to just mm-hmm. kind of having a vague idea that you should change the sentence, you can know very explicitly what part of the sentence you want to change. And that, yeah. as a writer, that has been a very powerful thing to, a uh, place to be as a writer. I'll say one more thing, and I know we're, we're getting too long here, but this is the last oh, thing please. I'll say. I, I did not know sentence diagramming when I graduated from college. And, and every year I tell my eighth graders that you know more mm-hmm. grammar than I did when I graduated from college. And I graduated from a pretty good college. Oh, that's powerful. Yeah. Um, I, I studied English, which is the ironic part of it. And I went through high school uh, uh, being a pretty good student in English class. Uh, but I never learned English as an integrated subject with a hierarchy. We learned math yeah. hierarchically. 
we learn English as these scattered. Sometimes we, we read little passages from a book and then sometimes we're like mm -hmm. learning vocabulary, like it's completely scattered and all over, the all over the place. For the most part, we don't learn grammar at all. So I did not learn it. Most people don't learn it. Um, as an adult, right. I realized I didn't know. This is one of the things that I learned when I was trying to teach English in Japan is I learned that they didn't use phonics and that they didn't use grammar uh, to teach English. And I thought that that was flawed. So as a teacher, I began to learn uh, grammar on my own. And I had to, and again, diagramming was a great tool for that. Now I say all of that just to say this, I've always wanted to write. Before I learned sentence diagramming, I would sit in front of the computer writing and feeling like just this, this awful sense that something's not right with this sentence. I'm overusing <laughs> some kind of sentence structure. I don't know what it is. It turned out it was participle phrases. Yeah. Uh, people love to use participle phrases to start sentences because it sounds uh, literary. Mm -hmm but you, you shouldn't overuse it. But you, if you don't know what it is, you're gonna overuse it. And I was doing that uh, when I was in my yeah. early 20s. Once I learned uh, <laughs> sentence diagramming and thereby, once I learned uh, the principles of a sentence, all of the principles of the sentence and, became, and came to master them, I never sat in front of a page or a blank page or you know any work that I've been doing with that feeling again. I've always felt completely in control of whatever mm. sentence I was putting on the page. And that, that's, the, that's the power that, that sentence diagramming and an explicit understanding of grammar has given me as a writer. That's the buy-in right there. That's why you do what you do. So a couple of things, and uh, as we're working toward a close, one, I want to say to everybody who's listened this far, your brain is spinning right now. Almost I guarantee that your brain is spinning right now because we've talked about participle phrases and you're like, what the heck's a participle phrase? And some of you might wonder what a prepositional phrase is. That's great. If you're curious, I would encourage you to take some time and look that stuff up. It's a great place to start cultivating a love of grammar. And you'll be surprised if you take the time to love grammar and parts of speech and diagramming sentences, it'll be another tool that you use to communicate clearly with your readers. And you'll have an easier time doing it than everybody else out there who isn't already using this tool. Right. The other piece that I wanted to say to you is it's so the, the allure here that people hate to learn grammar and diagramming sentences is because when we speak, we do this perfectly. We don't even know we're doing it. Our brain is really good with speech. And so we deliver extremely complex phrases and sentences and we do it perfectly. And the punctuation always lands where it's supposed to because we're speaking it. Isn't that crazy? That I mean, crazy. That's what's happening. And so you think if you can speak it, you should be able to write it. I will say this, though, knowing what I know about grammar and listening to people talk, you'd be surprised how many mistakes. <laughs> people make all kinds of grammatical yeah. mistakes all the time. And I think one of the most interesting places to see it is when two people are arguing because they don't they sometimes <laughs> they're on the same page, but they don't know it because one person yeah. is saying something grammatically incorrect. The other person misinterpreting <laughs> it and thinking they're saying something different and they're fighting about. And you're like, yeah. you guys realize you're saying the same thing, right? Anytime you've ever been in a room where you felt like some people were saying the same thing, but they didn't know it and they were fighting, I'm sure, I promise you, there was a grammatical mm -hmm. barrier in there somewhere keeping them from understanding that they were saying the same. Copy and paste. We just moved that to the front of the interview because <laughs> that's like a, a huge highlight here. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, okay, so we're going to do a little parlor trick. You're the guy of all the people I've ever talked to who can probably use the word that in a sentence at least five times consecutively. Or am I, am I supposed to use it? Yeah, do it. It's, it's, it's a test. It's kind of like if you, you do your little magic trick at the bar or whatever, use the word that in a sentence five all times right. consecutively. Uh, consecutively? What, that after that, yes, that, sir. that, that, that? <laughs> That's right. <What? laughs> Oh, okay. Uh, all right. Hold on, no, no, no. I think I can do it. Give me a second. Give me a second. Give me a second. I think I can do it. All right. All right. You got it. You got that, it. <laughs> oh, man. That's only four. It's like that, 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 that. Oh, that's weird. That, 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 that. that uh, the fifth that is wrong. I mean, it's not wrong, but that, that. No, you're, you're that, right there, that, though. That. <laughs> okay. I think I got it. That, 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 that mean i'm almost there 30 more seconds that <laughs> that 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 means oh man i almost feel like i have to diagram it that 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 <laughs> that 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 is referring to yep 
there you go. You got it. You, you just actually have to put the emphasis yeah, in the right place and you got I it. I just have to finish the sentence though. But it's like that, 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 that is referring to um, is not actually a pronoun in the sentence. That's it. That's it. I got it. That's it. That, 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 that is referring to in the sentence is not actually. That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. You got it, man. Okay. So gosh, man. I got it. Exactly. I knew you could do it. And, and ladies and gentlemen, if you, if you doubted that he was an expert. Yeah. So, so there's a, there's a, that, that I'm referring to. <laughs> so the way it was taught to me was, uh, I think that that, 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 that writer used should really have been a that, witch. That, 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 that's, that's how it was taught to me. Oh, I think oh, that, so that, 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 that writer used. That, really that, 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 that writer used. Yes. Yeah, so that, 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 that writer, yeah. that, 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 but that's for that. That's not fine. So I think that, 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 that writer used should really have been a witch. Uh, I think yep. that, 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 that writer used. You have to diagram that in order to know yep. what each of those that's. I meant. know. You have to, because. Yeah. Now, if, exactly. And if you're okay with using a little bit of punctuation between, if you still consider it consecutively, then you could do this. Did he really say that, 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 that writer <laughs> used should really have been a witch? Now you got six. That's funny. <laughs> I feel like I gave that to a, uh, a class. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I'll have to show, bring this up to you after the podcast. There is a, there's another word game just like that. It's one sentence. Awesome. I love it. one sentence and all of the words are the same. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. It's the, what I can't remember right now. I have to look it up really quickly, but the verb is, also the subject the preposition like it's uh, it's all and in the only in order for wow. me to prove that it was correct to my students again i had to diagram it so uh that's brilliant yeah. okay so um let's go ahead and close out i want um you to go ahead and plug yourself uh where people can find you what you want them to know about you it sounds like you're doing a lot of things you're moving groove and you got a book coming out or at, yeah, at least in the process of coming yep. out so uh where people need to find you all right so my name is jeremiah cobra you can find all of my work at jeremiahcobra.com jeremiah is like the biblical person biblical character says so j-e-r-e-m-i-a-h my real last name is cobra like the snake so it's easy to remember jeremiahcobra.com um, I have a work of short stories and poems that is available anywhere, but you can find the link on my website and my latest book. And then he shot his cousin or the one that's currently out. And then he shot his cousin is a novella, which you can also find anywhere. Check it out on my website. And uh, I have a, a new book coming soon. I'm really excited about, and I, I can't wait. Hopefully we can sit down and talk about that sometime. But for, for all of my work, jeremiahcobra.com. Jeremiah, it has been absolute pleasure. This has been uh, the most fun that I have had in a really long oh, time. Man. You just don't get to talk grammar with people very often. And you're fascinating and far more educated than I am about it all. So it's just, uh, like I said, drinking from a fire hose. Loved it. I appreciate that so much. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening today. And remember, you should never feel bad for telling your truth. So get out there and write. And if you've got a killer story, apply to be a guest on our show. Email me at jodyjsperling at gmail.com or find me on Facebook, Jody J. Sperling. And hey, there's no point in telling stories if nobody's listening. Nobody's listening.